in previous episodes of my six days with Giannis Kuros, I talked about mainly the first couple days and, of course, my travel to the race. So the first couple days, day one, of course, Joe and Giannis were just flying around, probably doing about two laps to my one lap. And that's kind of what ended up happening. I got 68 miles there, basically 135 miles. Day two, they definitely slowed down a bit. Um, but uh, Kuros still really hadn't taken a break. I had a terrible day two where I was just foolish, got all shaved up and just uh, kind of blown, burnt out and was really not thinking 300 was going to be possible. Then I had a good conversation with Kurt, uh, Jamel Curry, who, you know, said, hey, it's just like a multi-day hike and day two is always the toughest. And, you know, day three dawned. One of the things I did do was I'd heard there were showers, uh, nice hot showers. And, you know, I thought I can't take I can't pass up this opportunity. I'm at the Dodger training facility. Always a big time baseball player when I was a kid. In fact, that's how I got into running was I got tired of sitting on the bench in baseball. So I definitely had to check them out. The only problem was the shower was like a quarter mile away from the start finish line, which meant I was going to get to do an extra half mile. So I, you know, at that, the showers open around nine o'clock. So you'd grab all your stuff, make sure you were doing a lap, then walk over there. I got in there and it was professional big time baseball, at least what I've seen on TV. And I remember the shower heads being like 10 foot off the ground. There was some nice hot water, great facility. Took a nice shower, changed clothes, and then went back out. And then, like, mostly what I did during the daytime, I just did laps. Watched all the new people, you know, the new 24-hour people and 48-hour people fly around. And I would just save my energy because at night I knew I could move them. And, you know, the field wouldn't be as many people. And it got cold, so you had to move just to stay warm. And I was now, when I was sleeping, I was actually sometimes trying to take naps during the daytime. I would just lay in the grass because it's warm in Phoenix in the day, just like Bakersfield. You know, we'll get in the 60s in the day, and then at night, you know, it got really cold. And also what was going on then was during the daytime, Kuros, I would see him running most of the time, but then at night he would slow down. Uh, Joe was taking breaks periodically, but Kuros was just doing what I was doing, just out there for lots and lots of hours, you know, 22 hours a day or something crazy like that. So a lot of times I'd find myself with him and uh, Bill Heldebrandt, little bill and 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 a bunch of other people especially late at night there wouldn't be a lot of people out there so you kind of team up just to have some company and i often found myself with Kuros because by now he really wasn't running at night especially he was walking just trying to put the miles in and i would stay around with him and then uh, it was kind of interesting a couple times and i don't remember the dates but it would be interesting we'd be um you know finishing up a morning and at nine o'clock there'd be a new race and we'd always be heading towards the people you switch directions every four hours and i remember a couple times a couple mornings where i'd be with kuros and and it would be almost nine o'clock and i would warn him going, hey in a minute everybody's gonna come running towards us and be like oh, okay you know he, he didn't speak english well but i knew he understood english i didn't really talk to him too much but it was interesting and so i would kind of sometimes since i'm a big guy you know 250 and kuros is a pretty small guy i would kind of stay by him when the whole herd of new people would come flying out on every 24-hour race and i think he appreciated getting a heads up because i don't think he really you know was paying attention to the specifics of the race i ended up day three with 158 miles i was a little bit concerned was it 158 yeah i think something like that yeah, 158 miles a little bit concerned i was going to get my 300 but i was taking care of myself the chafing issue was gone. I was putting in the miles. My feet hurt pretty bad. At this time, I wasn't wearing ultras. I was still doing the hokas, and I had the big, thick hokas. 
And, you know, it just was like doing whatever I could just to keep moving and was keeping to my pattern of late nights, putting in the miles. And I noticed like late at night, Kuros would be out there, you know, I'm talking like two, three in the morning. And I would just kind of stay with him or whoever happened to be out there. But Kuros was actually falling asleep on his feet. And what was really interesting, he had the heart of the champion. He would cut the tangents like a, like a you know, a Formula One race car, but he couldn't walk in a straight line. And there would be often times where he would just be weaving around and I would just kind of be around him. And there were a couple times where I actually had to yell at him because one time there's this one turn, he went the wrong way. And another time he almost walked down into the lake. And he was definitely, he definitely wanted to beat Joe, but he just spent so much time out there. And, um, you, know, you know, he was 57, and I get it, I'm 57 now, the same age, and there's a big difference between being in your 40s and being in your 50s. Probably on the fourth night or the fifth night, um, I, I probably was actually the fourth night, I realized, like, I was spending, you know, walking with Kuros around him, and I kind of realized, like, you know, I got to know Joe better, and, you know, it was a big battle, and I kind of, like, dawned on me, like, hey, you know, maybe you shouldn't be out here with Kuros, because you're kind of keeping him on track, and, you know, I'm, you know, just kind of being nationalistic, I guess, but kind of, like, thinking, hey, you know, I'm, you know, American, and Joe's American, and, you know, I like Joe, I don't really know Kuros, and maybe I shouldn't be, you know, I wasn't pacing him, but I was, you know, staying with him, and so I kind of thought, ah, you know, I need to just kind of go off my own. So I was just doing stuff on my own. And then on the last night of the race, now I'm finally getting there, closer to getting to my goal of 300. And it's sometime on the last night. Because I remember when I finished up, uh, I had like 12 hours on the clock. So this has been around 9, 10 o'clock at night. Um, again, I was in the, I was walking during the day, but at night I could run. I could do that little 12 minute, five miles an hour shuffle. And so, yeah, it was around 9 o'clock at night. And um, Kuros was out there with me. And there wasn't a lot of people as the race progresses, especially it starts like on December 28th and goes to January 3rd. The New Year's race is a lot of people. But the last couple of days, it's mainly just us six days and a handful of people from other races. And I remember like the last day of the race, the, the uh, seventh day, sixth day, I mean, there was only the us and like one other person. And um, so what was really cool is, you know, I got to run my mile 199 and 200 with Joe Fegis, and I just kind of happened to run into Kuros when I was completing mile 299. And so I, you know, was trotting along, running along with him, and I just said to him, because I said to him, I said, do you mind if I, I go, this is my 300th mile, do you mind if I do this lap with you? And he said, sure, sure, just, you know, stay behind, don't kick up the dust, because, you know, the dust was really bothering him, and he just said, yeah, sure, and so I ran, and I got to do my last mile, not my last mile, but mile 300 with Kuros, and as we were coming around and getting towards the starting area, um, we got to the start-finish line, you know, and he's in the heat of a battle, you know, he only, only got beat by five miles, and so many people were saying, you know, he's always oh, like, you know, he's barking and yelling at his crew, and kind of, everybody thought he was kind of being a jerk, well, when I got to the when we got to the start finish line that clicked off my 300th mile, he actually stopped, and shook my hand and congratulated me, and then he ran off, and you know to this day I'll never forget that moment. It was just truly a special moment when I got to my goal of 300 miles and I got to do my 300th mile with Giannis Kuros, and he even stopped and congratulated me on getting there. It's pretty much my last real interaction with Giannis. After that, he was you know still fighting and battling Joe. And um, I didn't really see much after that uh, last little mile with them. So now I finally got into my goal. I've done a six-day race. I've done 300 miles, 50 miles a day. 
I'm celebrating with a big ice cold glass of milk. I don't drink, have never have drank. Um, it's interesting. I was just see, reading this article on Joe Fegis, and he drinks milk during races, not most of the time. And he was also commenting on the fact that um, William Scheifel, uh, who does many money multi-day races, also drinks milk. And I think it's a huge advantage. So I'm having my glass of milk. Friends of mine are texting me and congratulating me. You know, the coverage was online where you could have kind of like live, live results, you know, where people could see you updating throughout the night and all the days. And later on when I'd go to races, people would come up to me and say, oh, you know, I'd get up in the middle of the night to take a leak and I would hit refresh, see how Kuros and Joe were doing and then check on you. And it was pretty cool. So I'm done. I'm just kind of sitting in the runner's tent. It's not a whole lot of people there. Pretty happy to have gotten 300. Not really sure what I'm going to do now. And then um, uh, this older gentleman Michael Allen, he was in his 70s. He reminded me of Tommy Lasorda, skinny Tommy Lasorda. And I guess he'd owned a lot of records back in the day. In fact, my friend the Jester beat his six-day age group record. And he comes over, and he's, he and what I loved about him is he did the six-day, and he probably, I don't know how many miles he got, but it was funny. He, he would come over every day. I mean, he would come every day and do uh, miles, and he would wear a different colored sweatsuit every day. So he had, like, all red, all yellow, all green. Just a wonderful, lovely guy. And um, so he, he came up to me. He's sitting down. And he talks to me. He's like, asked me, oh, you know, how did your training go? What were you doing? In fact, here he is. He was 78 that year. year and he did 142 miles. And I told him, oh, you know, I did do a six-day on my own in Bakersfield. I got 211 miles. And he gets talking to me. And he goes, well, now what are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, I got 12 hours. My plane doesn't leave till tomorrow. I don't have anywhere to sleep. I don't have much. You know, I'm pretty much you know, homeless. And, uh, he goes, well, come over here to the leaderboard. So he takes me, we go over to the big screen on the, uh, and, and look at the leaderboard and I'm in 10th, uh, no, I'm in 11th place. And he says, look, he goes, you know, the guys that are in ninth and 10th, they're not here. They're at hotels or something. And ninth place was 300, like 14 miles. And I had 12 hours and he's like, you know what? You could move into the top 10. So at this point, I'd finally got a blister. I had a big old blister on the ball of my right foot. I often say my right foot's my power foot, and I'd often get blisters on the ball of it. And I got them from wearing those hokas. They were the bigger, wider ones. I think I was wearing the Stensons. You know, now that I've gotten ultras, I don't get those kind of blisters for the most part. So I had a blister on the ball of my foot. I was pretty tired, beat up, but I was like, hey, you know, I've been challenged to go for the top 10 position. I've got 12 hours. I can just go out and do a mile or mile or two an hour and just knock this thing out and hopefully those guys don't wake up look at the results and come out here because it turned out that it was my friend anthony culpepper who last summer became one of the less than 100 people to do walk 100 miles in under 24 hours and then there was victor vila this little fast little marathoner guy from the middle east and he definitely would probably hunt me down so i'm heading out i'm doing the miles and then i start to notice Someone I noticed in the race earlier, and I had talked to her before, and she just walks like three miles an hour, never stops, takes a couple hours a night off, and it was Martina Hausman. Now, Martina is an ultra le uh, legend, especially in the multi-day racing, and I guess, you know, earlier in her career, probably I guess in the 80s or 90s, you know, she'd give the men a run for her money, and she raced against Kuros and all those guys. I'm looking here on ultra sign-up, and I mean, like in 1999, she did 428 miles across the years. And I think she probably did even more than that. But, you know, so I talked to her uh, during the race. She didn't, she always walked slower than me. I mean, I walked 16 to 18 minute miles. She just consistently walking like 1920s. I guess she'd had some injuries and she couldn't run at all. And I remember walking with her from time to time and talking to her. 
and um, very funny lady, real stern German type, but very, very funny. And I talked to her and I was like, oh, you know, you don't run. No, I can't run. And so, you know, very competitive. She used to be the all-time mileage person at Across the Years. I think John Geisler finally passed her, but they've had battles too. She always gets over 300 miles. And so she's coming at me. And she's just slowly getting closer and closer to me. And I'm like, I mean, I, you know, I've now moved into, I got to 314. I've moved into ninth place. She's in 10th place. And I know she wants to try and catch me. And so the only thing was I knew she's going to take breaks. And so every time she took a break, I would take a break. And I was just keeping like a mile or two lead in front of her. And this went on all night long. And thankfully, she did take quite a few breaks. So I didn't have to get too many miles and, of course, she was pretty cagey, and she figured out the system at the place. She had the aid station jumping through hoops to help her out, and somehow she convinced the medical staff to be able to sleep in the nice warm medical tents in the nice beds. So, so while she was sleeping in one of those beds, I was sitting in the runner's tent by a heater, just keeping an eye on her to make sure she, if she got out on the course, I would get out on the course. So across the years ends at 9 a.m., and at 8 o'clock in the morning, she's out on the course, and she's getting close to me, but I've got like a lap lead. And so it's now uh, like 8.30 in the morning. There's only a half an hour to go. I've got a mile lead on her, and I'm thinking, okay, she's headed out for a lap. It takes her 20 minutes plus to do the laps. Maybe I'm done. I'm at 321 miles. I'm just like, I don't want to go around this course anymore. I've done 21 miles more than I ever wanted to do, but I really want to stay in ninth place. Uh, my friend Anthony, he came out. He'd been having some health issues. He didn't go out and do any more miles, I don't think. But um, uh, the Victor Vila guy, you know, of course, he showed up, and he was just flying around the course trying to catch us. He ended up doing uh, not two, 314. So I'm sitting there on a chair hoping I don't have to do any more laps. And, of course, there's lots of people because it's the last hour. And, you know, it's 830. I don't see her. 835. I don't see her. And then all of a sudden coming around the corner. There's Martina, and it dawns on me like, oh, my gosh, i got to go do another lap. So I grabbed a couple cups of Mountain Dew, pounded the Mountain Dew, uh, ran a little, got in front of her, and then just walked it in. And it ended up, I finished with a couple minutes on the clock, like at 8.55, and she finished a couple minutes behind me. And I ended up doing 3.22. She did 3.21. Kept my ninth place, but it was definitely a hard-earned ninth place, and I was a mess. So now I'm done with the race, went and take a shower, come back for the awards. I've got a flight flying out that afternoon. I don't really, I haven't been on an airplane since 1981 when I won my first ever plane flight when I was running cross country. Oh, maybe, I guess I went to Europe in 86. I haven't been on a plane in like 20 years and certainly not since 9-11. And so I'm like, wow, how am I going to get to the airport? I go to my tent that they'd given me, and it looked like a bomb had exploded. Their clothes and stuff were all over the place because I was just constantly changing clothes, throwing things in there, looking for stuff. And so it's a huge mess. I'm a, I'm a mess, and I'm thinking, man, I don't know how I'm going to get on the plane. I don't know how I'm going to get to the airport. Uh, thankfully, um, I had uh, my friend Bob Davison, who's gone over 400 miles walking the races. His wife was there. She kind of helped me. Um, pack my stuff i had to buy an extra bag from across the years they sell the old stuff pretty cheap because to put stuff in there i realized i had to carry a couple bags on the plane and i don't you know with 9-11 i'd never flown on a plane and so i like unfortunately was like well i know dirty clothes can get on a plane so i stuffed all my dirty clothes in the plane in my bags 
and now I'm going to get to the, the uh, airport. And uh, fortunately, uh, my good friend Terry, who did 200 miles, the lady that every time I'd come out of the tent or out of sleeping, I'd walk some laps with her, she gave me a ride to the airport. Now, the Phoenix airport is gigantic, and it's January 3rd or something like that. Well, anyways, they have all kinds of bowl games and stuff in Phoenix, Arizona. So the airport is a zoo. Big old lines. I've got a big old blister on my right foot. I can barely walk. I look a mess. I've been up for six, seven days in a row. I've walked 322 miles, and I'm just a mess. And so, like, I'm at the security line. I can barely stay awake, and I'm limping funny, and I look like hell. And I'm thinking, I hope I can get through the security line. And I get to the front of the line, family. You know, it's a big line. And, you know, uh, I have my water bottle. And I actually carried this Nathan water bottle the entire race. I'm on a one-mile loop. I don't know why I carried it. I'm carrying, like... 20 ounces of water all this time so i get to the front of the line and they're like sir sir you can't bring that water bottle on the plane and i'm looking at him like you got to be kidding me you need to throw it away and i'm like uh can't i dump the water somewhere and they're like no you got to throw it away and then i look at the guy and i'm like can i drink it and he kind of goes i guess and so i went like this and in one pull i drank the whole thing and i remember the lady behind me like whoa and then I had to show him, like, see, I'm, I drank it. It's like, cause I didn't want to throw it away. It was like a $25, $30 bottle. So I go through the security. I pass security. Then I get there where you got to put your clothes, your shoes back on and crap. And I pat my pockets. I got my car keys and I got change in my pockets. I got all this metal shit on me. And then somehow I stagger, you know, like to the airport gate. And I get there. I'm like at the airport, like five hours before we're supposed to be there. And I'm just so tired and sleepy. And I remember talking to the uh it was like this guy that was working the gate it was like cedric the entertainer i told him hey i've been up for a long time can you please you know make sure i don't miss my flight you know if whenever you know whatever happens and he's like oh yeah yeah i'll, I'll do that so i fall asleep and when i wake up there's nobody at my gate now i haven't missed my flight but then i'm like oh my gosh what's going on and i look around and i find out that oh my gosh my flight's been moved and it's like now on the other side of the airport and I'm now so bad off. I actually called up and got the little airport cart guys to come pick me up. And they ended up having to drive me to the other gate. And I remember getting there to the gate and going up to the young lady at the gate attendant or whatever and saying, hey, when you call up, you know, the older pe old people and stuff, can I go and get on the plane then? Because it's going to take me a long time to walk down the galleyway. And so... Fortunately, I got back on. To, I finally got on the plane. Um, I still really hadn't slept. Thankfully, from Phoenix to Bakersfield, instead of being a nine-hour car ride, it's like an hour, hour and a half drive. And I finally land in Bakersfield, California, at you know sometime in nine o'clock at night. And my middle son Nicholas came to pick me up. Now I've lived in Bakersfield for almost 30, 40 years, and so I know the streets and everything real well. And Mike Nicholas comes to pick me up. And I remember we're driving and everything just seems really weird because here I've been walking around for six days on this one mile path. It's only like, you know, 10 foot, 15 foot wide. My whole world was just like this tunnel. And I remember my, my son, we're driving down my home street. I live on this pretty good sized street, but it looked gigantic like, like an aircraft landing uh, zone. 
and I was just freaking out. I remember Nicholas just like, boy, dad's really out of it. And then it was so amazing. I get home, and, you know, of course, my dogs, because now I've been gone for like nine days. My dogs, my two chugs, Maddie and Mushu, are all excited to see me. And I remember like going into my living room, and my living room seemed gigantic. It seemed like I was in this gigantic gymnasium. Everything seemed really, really big, and I was definitely kind of crazy out of it. And, you know, I had this gigantic blister on my foot. I was a mess. And it was really interesting after that first six-day race how long it took me to recover. I know I did a thing talking about Joe Fegis, and he talked about that race, you know, him and Kuros. You know, he beat Kuros by five miles, and he said it took him months to recover. And it definitely took me a couple weeks to get my sleep back. I was just, like, sleeping all day, all night, and my sleep was a mess. And I was definitely trashed and beat up from my first experience. But all in all... It was really great. Unfortunately, it's been my best uh, 322s, the most I've ever done. I uh, went back to across the years. Um, the following year, I did the 48-hour, did like 137 miles and got third or fourth. I Third overall, I got fourth, but they disqualified Kelly Agnew. And then I went and it blew up. I tried to do 400. Uh, I tried to do 400 at the Dome, and I did try to do it at across the years, blew up. And Dome, I did 270 somewhere or something like that. And um, then I uh, went to cross the years and quit after four days. And then I, the following year, I did go back to cross the years and get 315 because I needed 312 to get my 1,000-mile jacket in four years. Since then, my uh, th- six-day experiences, you know, somewhere in the 200s. In fact, of course, last year, I went to the Dome. I paid for it and everything is things, but by the time I ended up going, I really wasn't into it. Watch my friends Yolanda and Anthony become centurions, 100 miles, walking in under 24 hours. And I went home. Um, I just did my little, you know, six days in the home. I'm not really sure if and when I'll ever do another six day. Um, I know I can do 200 miles. It's no big deal. And 300 is difficult, but I don't even know if I want to do 300 because you got to be out there, you know, a long, long time. I remember talking to people um, who are just trying to do 200 miles in 72 hours. And guys were pretty good, guys who you know, finish bad water and stuff like that. And they'll come up to me after a day or two and be like, Andy, you know, all I got to do is 100K a day, but all I'm doing is walking right now. So that's going to be 20 hour days. If I was running, it would take me, you know, 13, 14. I said, welcome to multi-day racing, you know, because the math looks easy on paper, but the math is simply brutal. So that was my six days with Giannis Kuros. And thank you for listening and watching. And if you please subscribe to my video channel if possible. And as always, stay healthy, be boring, not epic.